Now, the reason Paul wrote that is because he's want, God wants us to know that the world wants to try to push us into a particular mould. It's mould, like the Play-Doh. You know, he wants to put us in, push down the plunger and push everyone out in this same kind of, uh, this same kind of shape, if you like. He wants our lives to be patterned after its ways. Culture is designed to make us fit in, isn't it? Culture you know, very much is all about inclusiveness and, and, and fitting in and forcing us to comply with its ways, to accept its values and to accept its views, to follow the world's views. Yet for the follower of Jesus, we're called to be different. We're actually called to stand out and be different to our world. We're called to live differently to our world. First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride uh, in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is speaking about this whole aspect of, you know, the, the desires that the world would, would, would try to make us believe are really good desires to follow after. And that the following after these desires will give us a great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life. But John tells us that, you know, the world, we've got to recognize that the world is actually trying to push us down a path that actually leads to destruction, what actually leads us to a life that is, that will eventually leave us morally and spiritually bankrupt. That we will, you know, that we will, if we follow down that path, eventually, sooner or later, whether it's sooner or whether it's later, we're going to find that we are going to regret every decision we made in following down that path that the world would have us go down. It's a bit like this stuff. Who knows what this stuff is? Hey, fairy floss. Don't we love fairy floss? Yes, it's that lovely sugary spin, you know, that that sponge sugary taste and the, the wonderful... Excuse me, the wonderful colours and things like that. But I don't know about you, fairy floss, it might be sweet to the taste, but you can't live on the stuff, can you? Hey, you can't live on the stuff. It's got no substance. It doesn't fill you up. All it does is give you this, you know, this lovely sweet taste for a time, but, uh, but you know, eventually it, uh, it rots your teeth and it, uh, you know, it makes you feel sick and horrible on the inside and that sort of stuff. It really does. As I said, fairy floss, sweet to taste, but no substance. You can't live on it. But, and this is a bit like our world today. It offers us all these wonderful things in life, particularly when it comes to relationships, you know, that, uh, that, that, that promises them to be beautiful and sweet and enticing and, and that sort of stuff. But eventually what it does is it, it doesn't rot our teeth, but it rots us from the inside. And it actually you know, starts to, 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 to destroy us and eat away at us. And you can't live on it. It doesn't bring real life. It doesn't bring real nourishment for the spirit and for the soul. We live in an over-sexualized world. A world that's fixated on romantic intimacy. If you don't know, then you've only got to turn on a TV show because you see TV shows like this, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, or this one. Don't you just love this show? Hey, the social experiment is back, married at first sight. Or even this one, kiss, bang, love. Yes, our world is fixated on this whole aspect of romantic intimacy. 
But sadly, what it's done is our world has twisted human sexuality into something that is far different than God's design for it. And we need to have our hearts, we need to have our minds renewed by God's spirit and by God's word, especially when it comes to this whole aspect of male and female relationships, of dating and of marriage. The second most important decision that we will ever make in our lives is this. It is the choice of who we will give our hearts to and our lives to. In other words, who we will in fact marry in our lives. What's the first, by the way? Following Christ. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. You saved us, right? <laughs> Following Christ. That's it. That is the most important decision that a person could ever make in their lives. In order, that is to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and to walk in the plan and the purposes, the good purposes that God would have for us as his children. That's the most important decision that anyone could make in our lives. But the second most important decision very much is who we will then share our lives with and who we will actually walk through this life in God's good plan and purpose with. Okay? All right. So tonight what I want to look at is a few helpful insights from God's word that will hopefully equip all of us, particularly those of you who will either in the future or even maybe even now are attempting to try and navigate this exciting but precarious path of finding someone to spend the rest of your life with. So I'm going to use the word dating tonight. You know how to spell dating together? D-A-T-I-N-G. Yeah, okay, cool. We're all on the right page. We're going to use that. And I hate using acrostics or anacronyms or whatever they're called. Okay, I really do. I think they're a really tacky way to preach. But I'm going to preach tonight on that. I'm going to preach over the next two weeks for that anyway. Okay, all right? Okay. So I'll give myself a slap on the back of the head right now and we'll move on. Okay. So as I said, we're going to use the word dating as our framework and the focus, of our word, the focus in the word of God will be from Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, it's actually I prefer to call it, all right, because it is indeed the Song of Songs is the, the, the song of all songs. It's the best song, okay, the greatest song that God has written. Song of Songs says this, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, and therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Let's leave it there for the moment. I want to begin tonight by saying this. I want to begin with this, the letter D, and this letter D is for the word desire. Oh, good, it's up there on the screen. Excellent. Desire. Romantic desire is normal and healthy in its right context. Romantic desire is normal and healthy in the right context. You know, there has been, uh, uh, sadly, um, a bit of a history in churches over the many years to try to push this, you know, aside, to sort of put it into the, you know, into the very secret realm, the dark, you know, those dark places and that sort of thing, and not speak about this in any way, shape or form. And I think that's wrong, and I think we as a church have actually missed out. But we need to recognise that, that romantic desire is normal and it is healthy, but it also is a right context for it. Look at our passage. The woman, she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, 
For your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant. Here's a woman who is a des- who's desirous of a particular man. She's seen this man and she thinks he's quite attractive. She longs to be kissed by this man. His manly cologne is very pleasant to her. That's, by the way, your anointing oils are fragrant, okay? That's old Bible speak for cologne, you know, for the... Yes? Okay? All right. In fact, as we go through this whole book, as, as you read through the whole book, and we're not going to be going through the whole book, by the way, we read verse upon verse where both the man and the woman speak of each other in a way that shows how much they both desire one another. Romantic sexual desire is not unhealthy or wrong in and of itself because God has created us this way. He has created us male and female. But God has also created the proper context into which this desire is to be channeled. Pastor Dale spoke a bit about this a couple of weeks ago from Genesis 1 and 2. But God's good and perfect design for male and female relationships is to find its proper fulfilment in the marriage relationship. And that marriage relationship, by the way, is a lifelong commitment of a man and a woman to each other to the exclusion of everyone else. But again, our worldly culture says that, that, uh, you know, that, that sexual love and desire between any consenting adults is good and proper. It would have us believe that, that, it's, that, 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 that any sexual love and desire between consenting, consenting adults is something to be celebrated. But it doesn't matter if these two or more people by that, by that matter are not living in a marriage relationship or even if they're desirous of any kind of long-term commitment to each other. In other words, the word basically says, you know, if, if a couple love each other, then that's good and it needs to be celebrated, regardless of whether or not they have any kind of commitment to one another, regardless of whether or not, you know, they, um, they have any intention of moving towards marriage, regardless of whether or not they have, uh, you know, whether or not it's, uh, it's uh, a male and a female, whether it's a male and a male or a female and a, a female. The world would say if it, feels, if it feels good and right, then do it. Whether it be homosexuality, whether it be premarital sex, pornography, or even prudishness, which the church can sometimes push, all of these things distort and destroy God's good and perfect design for male and female relationships. God has a plan, God has a purpose for male and female and how they are to live in relationship with each other and how they're, into, how they are, they are to interact with each other and what is right and what is not right in, in God's eyes. But our world seems to have just thrown the, God's rule book, and I say rule book in inverted commas, out the window and has decided, well, anything's fair go. And unfortunately, the church today, there are some churches who have gone down that path and have celebrated this whole aspect of love, but have forgotten about the proper boundaries and the good boundaries that God has put around it. And when our world today looks at, looks at this, this whole context of, of romantic relationships and it sees the church contradicting itself, then what is it to believe? 
No wonder people today don't want to believe the Bible is because people in churches contradict one another over what God's word says. So we need to be firm on this. We need to be firm. So the D, as I said before, D is for desire, and it is normal and healthy in the right context, and that context is in that proper fulfilment in the marriage relationship. The next letter, A, is for admiration. There's much more to love than just physical attraction. Look at verse chapter look at chapter one, verse three B. Second part of verse three. It says, Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Verses 5 to 7. The woman is speaking here. She says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. By the way, the the tents of Kedar basically were people who lived in this particular region. They were nomads. And so their tents were made of this um, this really rough kind of hide and that sort of thing. And it was sort of fairly dark on the outside. And so she's re- sort of re- referring to herself a bit like that. But also to the curtains or the, um, you know, the tapestries. You know, the some of these ancient... Um, castles and things have got these beautiful tapestries that sort of hang in the uh, hang in the um, you know the big sort of open areas of these castles. You know those sorts of things. That's what's being talked about here in, in in Solomon's temple. She says, "Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves." Where you pass your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And you might be saying, what on earth is she talking about? Well, basically, simply, what, was, what, what is being spoken about here is that there's a, a recognition, first of all, of outward appearance. There's a recognition of outward appearance. She says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. Here is a young woman who has actually had to go out and actually work out in the sun each day. And back in those days, people didn't go to tanning salons and things like that to get this nice tan to make themselves look attractive like today. In fact, attractiveness back in this day was a woman who had the purest of purest of skin, the, the fairest of skin. And if you had the, the fairest of skin and the purest of skin, then you were seen as being really attractive. And people who had dark skin, who had the suntan and that sort of stuff, they were seen as being unattractive. And so she's saying, you know, I, you know, I've got this outside kind of appearance and it comes because I've had to work out in the vineyards. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, she says, but my own vineyard, my own body, I've not kept. I've not been able to pay the proper attention to my own body and be like these rich people over here who can keep their bodies pure and that sort of stuff in terms of not being out in the sun. You can see this kind of, almost a Cinderella kind of um, 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 uh, view of, of this girl towards herself. There's been a history of, of, of conflict within the family. She says, my mother's sons you know, were angry with me. It's interesting here that sees that, uh, you know, when she says my mother's sons, could it be there that there's actually, you know, these are actually her proper brothers, but are her half-brothers or her step-brothers? So there's a, there's, you know, there's this, there's this perhaps a, um, you know, this, this split family. 
and she's the one who's had to bear the brunt of uh, of of you know their uh, you know their kind of um, anger and that sort of stuff, and so she's sent out to do all the hard work, just like Cinderella. And she's a little bit sad about that. But yet she's also a little bit kind of, you know, sort of rebellious towards that as well because she says, yeah, I am dark, but, you know, I am actually lovely too. And sometimes we can focus a lot on the outward appearance, on what a person looks like on the outside and put so much value and so much worth and so much significance on that kind of impression and on those kind of, you know, those kind of attributes about someone that we actually forget about what that person is like on the inside. We live in a culture that idolises physical beauty, don't we? Whether it be, you know, the, the movie stars or the celebrities... The people who are able to spend millions on beauty treatments and plastic surgery and stuff like that. You know, our magazine covers who put all these pictures of of beautiful women and that sort of thing on the covers who Photoshop those kind of images. You know, that's the image they're pushing and that's the kind of image that our world is trying to push it into. Remember the pattern, the mould that our world is trying to push us into? There's even pressure on men today to have the six-pack and the chiseled jaw and, and those sorts of things. Sorry, honey, you missed out there. <clears throat> yeah, thanks. <laughs> but such a fixation with these things, there was outward appearance, can actually be quite revealing, I think, about what we're really seeking from a relationship. If that's the emphasis that we put that we, that we, that we place on, on a person, you know, the outward appearance, and I think that says something very much about us and about what we're actually looking from from the relationship. I mean, do we want someone attractive because they might make us feel good about ourselves? You know, guys, are we really looking for that really attractive girl because, you know, we'll, we'll be able to impress our mates because we're really punching above our weight and that sort of stuff? Girls, you know, you're able, you know sort of, is it about being able to, to snag this hunk of a guy, you know, so you can sort of, you know, brag about it with your friends and things like that as well? Because it'll actually make you feel good and actually lift up your kind of social status in your circle of friends. You know, those, those sort of people you hang out with. Will it bring that admiration from others? Will it give us more social cred? Oh, this is a YouTube service sermon tonight, isn't it? Hey? Who says Pastor Duncan isn't up with the latest fads? Hey? Okay, I've really embarrassed myself now, so we'll move on, Okay. Is it, is it something that allays our own insecurities that we can actually get a person who's you know, beautiful on the outside? But these verses here, particularly this whole aspect of your name is oil poured out, what this lady is actually saying is that, you know what, you know, you, 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 I want you to kiss me and I, you know, your love is better than wine and your anointing, you smell pretty good, but what's most important is that you have a really well-respected name. You are well respected in the community and actually people actually love you because of who you are as a person, as your character. You stand out. That's what, that's what she's saying here. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is not that the woman is the candidate for Australia's next top model or perhaps the guys you know, could easily appear in the next firefighters magazine calendar, whatever it is. But our main focus should be, on, should be on the type of character that they have. 
the type of character a person have, meaning that, you know, this person, this, this man that this woman is, is admiring, she's saying he's admired and respected by others. He's held up in esteem. He's a man of integrity, not just some sweet-smelling, good-looking hunk who just happens to kiss pretty good. Attraction needs to go beyond the physical things. It needs to get deeper down into the person. And yeah, things like personality and sense of humour and things like that come into it. But is this person a person you know, who's got you know, a really good moral compass, but also a person who is really in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? Girls, I want you to think about the kind of husband and father that you would like to have you know, one day, that you would like to be married to one day. There's a guy that you have, you know, eyes for at the moment or, you know, that you will have down the track. Is that going to be someone who, you know, you want to actually be your husband and the father of your children? Someone whom you can confidently trust, whom you can look up to, whom you can submit to, whom you can treasure? I think I'm a little bit behind here. There we go. You have to write fast now, won't you? A person's character is much more important. 2 Corinthians 8.21 For we aim at what is honourable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Honourable. Is the person, is the guy that you're looking for, girls, is he a person that you could actually say, he's a man who is honourable? Honourable in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Guys, think about the kind of wife and mother that you would write to uh, eventually have and be married to. Is this girl a hard worker? Is she worthy of respect? Is she humble, yet assured and confident herself? In other words, is she kind of like a bit like the Proverbs 31 woman? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go away later and look and read through Proverbs 31. It's more... Uh, you know, when it comes to these relationships, we've got to remember that it's not just about physical attraction. That only lasts, you know, just for a split second in the whole scheme of things. But it's what that person is like in their character. Is it? Are they truly people whom you can respect? A pe- person of integrity, a person who is, you know, able to be held up in esteem. Of course, the person whom we date or marry will never be perfect. But let's make sure that we don't continually see them through rose-coloured glasses either. We need to be realistic. Would have loved to have shown a clip tonight about uh, this uh, couple who go on a date, a real estate agent. I might sort of see if we can get it working next week because we haven't got this tonight. It was going to be too too difficult with this. But remind me about that, okay? It's a bit, it's a bit funny, but it, taught, it really, really speaks about you know knowing about what you're getting into. What kind, you know, what you're getting into in the relationship. All right, so that's D, that's A. What comes next? T. T is for trajectory. Right, there's a tongue twister for you. Trajectory is basically a path that something takes, a course that something takes, all right? And so what we need to ask ourselves is in what direction is this relationship actually going to take us? What is it that you are aiming for from this relationship? What is the purpose of this relationship? And when it comes to dating, what is the purpose of dating? 
Matt Chandler, uh, in his series on dating, says this. He says that, you know, you have no business dating if you don't know what you want, if you haven't defined what you're looking for, or you haven't defined what you're willing to wait for. Interesting words, aren't they? Because dating should always have a purpose. It should always have a trajectory. Is, and we, the question we need to be asking ourselves is this, is, is this person suitable for me to marry? Is this person suitable for me to marry? Now, if we're going to be asking ourselves that question, then there's got to be a logical step before that, doesn't there? And that's this, that before beginning to date members of the opposite sex, we need to ask ourselves, am I ready to get married? Because if not, then why are we dating in the first place? Because it's just a recipe for heartache and disaster. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, to actually go out, you know, with a person on a, on a date, it means that you need to be aiming to be marrying this person. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay? Kind of like I'm probably need to use a couple of different words here. Dating and courtship. Okay, dating is about getting to know people, but courtship is actually when you then start to think, right, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, and now we're going to be starting to move together towards marriage. But even in the dating scheme of things, we still need to ask ourselves, actually, am I ready to get married? Because if I'm not actually ready for that particular step in my life, then there's no point going through the whole dating process in the first place, is there? Because all it's going to do is going to lead to heartache and, tra- and, 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 and hardship and pain in a person's life. So guys and girls, I say this with all, you know, with all uh, honesty, when it comes to dating, we need to remember that you know, we're not just dealing with, oh, let's have a bit of fun and that sort of stuff. We're dealing with people's emotions. We're dealing with human beings who get hurt. And so why put ourselves, each other, in that kind of situation if, we just want to, if we're really not interested in any kind of serious relationship in the first place? Having said that, though, let me also say this. Don't make marriage an idol. Sadly, I have seen some people in my life who have had as their main goal, in fact, their only goal in life is to get married, to settle down, to raise a family and that sort of stuff. And look, that's all well and good. But if, that, if you become so fixated on that that nothing else matters, then you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. Because our main purpose in life is not to have, just a, is not to have a great marriage, but to glorify God. That is our main purpose in life as God's children. And if getting, if getting married and having kids is the focus of your life, then like I said, you, perhaps you need to have a bit of a rethink. Because don't think that a marriage or a marriage partner can be your sole source of joy, peace and purpose in this life. Because that's unhealthy. And sadly, I have seen that, folks. I've seen that in churches I've been a part of for many years. I've seen people who think that, that marriage and getting a marriage partner and having kids and that sort of stuff, having this, this lovely, happy kind of family, that's the goal. And that's where my focus is and that's it. And they've come a cropper. 
and some of those people are now in a relationship and in a situation that they are that they are regretting but it's because they didn't have the right focus from the start god needs to always take first priority in our lives all right let's finish up with this fairly quickly Whilst we're talking about this whole aspect of dating, I want to say something particularly about singleness. Because it's okay to want to get married, but it's also okay to not want to get married. And just because you are single doesn't mean that you are doomed to living an unfulfilled and dissatisfied life. (gasps) Shock horror. Just because you are single doesn't mean that you are doomed to live an unfulfilled and dissatisfied life. Oh, we're past that, aren't we? Here we go. Look at this poor, sad person looking out. (laughs) Folks, if it's God's plan for you to be single, then he will help you to be single and to live in a way that glorifies him too. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 speaks about having the gift of singleness. It's the gift that nobody wants. Christopher Ashe, one of the authors I was reading this week, this week, says this. Do you want to know if whether or not you have the gift? Do you want to know if you have the gift of singleness? You can do so by a single test. Everyone hold up their left hand, please. Wiggle your little finger, this middle finger here. Does it have a gold ring or a ring attached to it? If it does, you don't have the gift of singleness. If it doesn't, At this particular point in time, you have the gift of singleness. (laughs) Simple, isn't it? And yet we put so much, you know, emphasis on this and so get so confused and so heartbroken about this kind of thing. But if you've got a ring on your finger, then God has not given you the gift of singleness. You're married. And that's the way God intends you to live. If you don't have a ring on your finger then you, are, you at this particular point in time, God has given you the gift of singleness and he will help you live in a way which glorifies him in that, in that stage, in that period of your life, however long that will last for. My circumstances, your circumstances, are God's gracious gift to you right now. And we need to learn to accept that from him and be content in that and be happy in that. And to trust him in that. Before we finish, let me uh, just reinforce one thing. Okay, we've covered a fair bit of ground tonight, and I'm a bit conscious of time and that sort of thing as well. Always knew this is going to be a bit of a, a longer kind of message tonight and next week because there's a lot of ground I want to cover. But I want to finish off with this before we kick off next week. Okay, so we've done we've done the dat d a t tonight. We'll do the ing next week. All right, okay. But I want to reinforce this one thing to you tonight. When it comes to dating, or in fact to anything in life, to anything about our lives, our primary purpose as Christians is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We're to honour God in every aspect of our lives. We're not to bring shame on his name because of our actions. We need to remember that he has redeemed us and he has called us to be his holy people because he's a holy God. And we're not to forget that our greatest joy 
and our greatest sense of fulfilment utterly ultimately comes from loving God and living according to his perfect ways. God's shown us what real love's all about because he's sacrificed everything for us. If you want to know what love is, you just need to look at God and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That is the perfect, ultimate, most beautiful example of what love is. In God giving himself through his son Jesus Christ in order to come to leave all of the glories of heaven behind, to come to this earth, to live a life where he experienced you know, um, hardship and persecution and suffering and shame, to actually redeem a people who actually despise you and reject you. That's what real love's all about. It's about sacrifice. We'll look at this a bit more next week. God has sacrificed everything for you, and he now calls us to find, first and foremost, our satisfaction in him. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and let him take care of the rest. It's on the front sign, so it's got to be true. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for just this time together in your word tonight. And um, yeah, we've probably covered a lot of ground. We have covered a lot of ground. But I pray that some of the things that we've really uh, spoken about tonight have really, will really stick with us in our minds and in our hearts. And that when it comes to you know, relationships, and particularly the relationship between male and female, Lord, we give you thanks for the fact that you have created us in your image, male and female. And you've given us a wonderful, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, context in which to experience those kind of relationships. But Lord, help us not to jump into those too soon. Help us also to remember that first and foremost that we need to put you first. Because as we put you first, then you will indeed take care of all the rest. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Duncan. I think sometimes, as Duncan touched on too tonight, that um, with relationships, I think we get a bit mixed up because we take our focus off God uh, and put it either on somebody else or on our own needs, etc. The final song we're going to sing tonight uh, is You Are My Vision, and yes, it's a newer worded version of the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision, so that because I can't remember what thou's and these are mean, but it's been reworded so that then we can focus on and having our vision on God. And rather than having all the words get muddled up in our head, by changing the words we're able to focus on what the hymn is all about and about keeping our vision on God. So please stand in as we sing our final song tonight. Satisfied